Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage podcast with Greg Gregory, founder of TeamsRock.com. Join us as Greg interviews thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from professional sports to manufacturing to business and industry. Now, let's join Greg for another powerful episode of the Teamwork Advantage. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Hi, everybody. Greg Gregory, founder, creator of the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast that is dedicated to three key areas, teamwork, leadership, and culture. That's the whole focal point here. Ideas that you can actually use and implement going into your business, your personal lives, your volunteer lives, uh, anywhere that you've got teams that come together to do something. That's the idea of our podcast. If you like us, hey, we're in 79 countries now, well over 100 episodes, uh, 100 episodes uh, delivered and out there. Please hit the subscribe button, pass us on, let other people know the power of what we've got here with a lot of our guests. And today is going to be no different. It's going to be interesting how we try this correlation together, folks, because this time we're going to bring somebody from a background in music to project management and meetings and teams and how we all work together. Our guest today is uh, Kelly McGinley, and Kelly started her company called Function and Flow to help teams and organizations, are you ready for this, work better, smarter, and more effectively together. So there's her teamwork connection right there, folks. In short, she says it's to help people do productivity differently, not necessarily saying it's going to be better, differently will produce better. And that's what we're going to look towards today. She has over two decades of experience as an educator and project manager that taught her, uh, taught her that industries and missions are often different as the day may be long, while understanding that the foundational principles of getting things done are basically the same. And that's, that's so true regardless of what we're doing. Get to the core, collaborate more effectively, choose a path, and then Here's the tough one, folks, commit to getting it done. And that's the direction we're going to look at with a lot of Kelly today. Her superpower is helping you simplify the process. I might have to ask her to come down to my office and help me out a little bit here. When she's not nerding out about this incredible work, her own sense of balance, and I love this, comes from her best friend and her husband, their home, their woods, loving dogs, who think they invented, that she invented the peanut butter. I love that. Um, An enjoyable, albeit endless pursuit of slightly less bad yogi, runner, and here it is, a musician. Hello, Kelly McGinley. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Hi, Greg. Thank you so much for having me. It's got to be the best intro I've ever had. <laughs> Thank you. I'd love to have a little fun with it. You guys give me the information that I'm like, okay, what can we have fun with on this? <laughs> You've got a lot in there, and I'm anxious to get right into this, okay? When we start to think about... Teamwork, leadership, and culture. Project management fits right in there. You were a musician, elementary school teacher in music. Okay, did you wake up one morning and decide, okay, I need to get out of it? How did you get from where you were into elementary education, and then what took you from elementary education into this world that you're in today? It's been a long and windy, curvy path. <laughs> and right before the education part, I my every intention was to be a professional musician, symphony orchestra. Um, my wrists and, and 
ongoing injury had other plans. And so I started teaching and just fell in love with it. Um, 10 years later, 10 years of elementary school music, I just had a blast teaching public school, private school. Um, and I wanted to sort of move on from it while I still had that deep and abiding love for it. No burnout, no nothing. Um, so during that time, I had started to work um, as on the side for a couple different nonprofits um, and really found that my passion was, was in nonprofit work and, and the projects that come up with that, whether it was working as a volunteer, managing other volunteers. Um, later on, it was staff managing volunteers and sometimes it's volunteer managing staff. I've worn all the hats and mm -hmm. I love all of them. And honestly, there's not that much difference between teaching a school full of 400 elementary school students than there is to piecing together projects in, in nonprofit world or the private sector. It's all the same set of it's skills. Even teaching over over. adults in corporate America, there's not a whole lot of difference there. <laughs> I say all the time there there are a lot of cross, there's a lot of crossover between all the time I spent teaching fourth graders and all the time I've spent working with adult volunteers. And that's they will do anything if you are aligned with the mission as much as they are and also they do not tolerate any sort of make-believe when it comes to who you are and what you do how you belong there if you can make your case for it they are with you 100 percent. and if you can't you best be prepared to explain yourself <laughs> absolutely and i love the fact that you said you had to get out while you were on top and still loved had the passion for doing that so you got out of the music and into the project management world in the volunteer arena. How did you go from there to starting Function and Flow? You know, I, I loved project management when I was working in it. I worked for a fair trade company for quite some time and then did about 10 years in conservation working for <clears throat> the Appalachian Trail Conservancy and then Audubon after that. And the issues that come up, I, I was sort of blown away at how similar they are from organization to organization to organization and how, how incredible it would be to have a way to help the same organizations or the teams within an organization to solve some of those things, to have an outsider perspective who knows what it's like living in a shoestring budget, um, limited resources, uh, tight staff, but still having these massive undertakings that are so important to the work that mm -hmm. you do and finding better ways to get them done so that you limit the burnout, the overwhelm, all of that stuff that really shifts the needle toward attrition, which is just, I mean, we all know it's just a terrible use of resources, time, money, all of that. If you can keep the same people and help them do their work better, the core product, the core results are just much better too. And that's a win-win all the way around. And it's so powerful because what you're talking about translates in nonprofit and when you're talking about processes and talking about projects, they all, it doesn't matter where you are. So folks today, when you're listening to this, think about every aspect of your life. This can even work all the way down to planning your vacation. Am I right? It was working this morning when I was trying to sort out a process for how to keep my dog from re-aggravating an injury now that we go to canine chiropractic, <laughs> which who knew, <laughs> but it's happening. And it needed a whole new process underneath it to make it all more effective and just take all the things I do for work on a regular basis, apply it to that. And all of a sudden it makes sense and it's simple and it's repeatable. Okay. 
And that's, that's a whole different thing when you start thinking about it there. And I never even looked at it from looking at it working with the canines in the world, but you're <laughs> absolutely right when it comes to training, because I've, my dog, and we do the training aspects that way. It's kind of cool. So let's talk for this about now. How did you arrive at the idea of better meetings and why do better meetings lead to better function and flow? Wow, that's such a good question. We have three weeks for this podcast, right? to just talk. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Meetings, I think it, they, it is, it's a root fix. It's a root fix to address time management, productivity, relationships, accountability, um, communications. Meetings can fix way more than we give them credit for. They're, you know, it's, it's easy to make them the, the, the bad guy and the, the thing that yeah people say meetings oh, I don't need another stupid meeting we've got enough meetings come on we don't need another meeting about this we had a meeting about the meeting before the meeting and I'm one of them I hate meetings hated them in my entire career still have a healthy dislike for them unless they're done well and then I think that is an incredible use of my time I just spent two and a half hours in a training session for a volunteer project I work on that I, I couldn't imagine at the beginning how they would make good use of all that time. And by the time the two and a half hours was over, I had learned more than I had in the entire time I'd been volunteering. And I was amazed at how quickly it went. Felt like it was perfect use of my time and that I had what I needed to keep going forward. So it's not the meetings that are the problem so much. Meetings are, are a phenomenal way to collaborate, to communicate, to get work done. It's the unnecessary ones, the ineffective ones that just need to be either altered to make them useful or i know this isn't always popular done away with and that's okay we don't need to keep all the meetings we've ever had and that's one of, i uh, wrote an article not long ago about the two and a half meetings you should stop having immediately and the usuals are on that list the meetings that only happen because they've always happened yeah i love it you said the two and a half meetings <laughs> Tell me about the half. <laughs> the half is one-on-ones, which I think are incredibly valuable as long as you're doing them in concert with the other half of that one-on-one. One-on-ones cannot be cookie cutter or they end up being a waste of time for about half the people that you have them with. But when you really take into account the other person's preferences, how they work, their autonomy level, how long they've been doing this work for and what they need from you, as a manager or as a leader, then those meetings become really, really powerful. But half of them maybe need some work. So that's where the two and a half comes from. Okay. And that, that absolutely makes, because I do believe through the pandemic, we've lost that half meeting with those one-on-ones quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And that, that's a challenge. I think post, once the pandemic started, it really exposed enormous communication gaps that were maybe pretty well hidden before that, but everything became a meeting. Every five minute conversation, two minute conversation, series of two or three emails, quick solve things became a minimum of a half an hour meeting, usually an hour. And then you end up with these really tight knit patchwork looking schedules that have no room to breathe in them, let alone do the work that you're actually tasked with. So mm -hmm. then you start working in the evenings, people start working on weekends, you're really losing that boundary between your professional life and your personal life, which there is overlap in. Nobody's saying there isn't going to be. That's just how right. life works. But when everything in your workday is tied up with back to back to back to back to back meetings, 
you've lost any time that you have for creativity and development and the, the real building of the things that are your actual work. So let's look at types of meetings. I think you've got three or four types of meetings that we really need to have or maybe really don't need to have. Um, and we're going to look at it. And because we are a business podcast, we're going to look at this from the business aspect. But keep in mind, we can probably translate and tweak to get it into the personal, the volunteer world. Am I right? Sure. Yep. So, so what are the types of meetings that, that are out there? So I've got three that happen pretty frequently that are fairly easy to fix or adjust slightly to make them really, really powerful again. Okay. Um, it's the traffic jam, the runway, and the bottleneck. The traffic jam, the runway, and the bottleneck. You got I'm it. I'm anxious to hear the differences between these. <laughs> to me, they sound very similar. So the traffic jam is that meeting that you go to where everybody talks about their priorities, everybody talks about what they're doing, and the work that gets done post-traffic jam is minimal at best, very tiny incremental steps. And because everyone is working on different priorities with no cohesive thread and no agreement on what the actual priorities are for the team, the progress is just really slow if it's there at all. And it can be really frustrating to other people on the team, all who think that their priority is the top one. And there's a really easy exercise that you can do to solve this one, which starts with just a complete brain dump. Everybody on the team, just very quickly, all the ideas in your head, what are we working on right now? What are all the projects that are a function of this team? No priorities, no ranking of them just yet. Just get it all out of your head. Because there's so many times that some folks don't even realize what other folks on the team are working on. And once it's out there, it builds an immediate sense of compassion and empathy for what is on everybody's plate, what they're juggling. But it also puts into perspective how many things are vying for your time and your attention. And then from there, you can sort of organize those into, into categories. Um, most times you can, you can pretty well see where, they, where they're going to line up. And then it starts to become clearer. Voting, blind vote, ranking systems, however your team decides to do it, getting to clarity on what the actual priority is. And you might find, especially when it's a blind vote, when you let the vote speak for itself, that what you thought is a priority as any member of the team or as the manager of the team might be very, very different from what the entire team comes up with. And therein lies the problem. Everybody's thinking something is, is number one, when in reality, there are multiple things that are number one instead of just one. Okay. I like what you said in there. You talked about the brain dumping and brainstorming and don't rank them, don't do anything yet. That's one of the biggest mistakes people make in everything when they do any kind of a brainstorming activities. They, they start to say, oh, we've tried that or we've done that, done, all those things. So I think I want to go back and look at that. That is important. That is critical when we do that brain dump. Am I right? You will get lost on step one every single time. If the discussion starts to relate immediately, to whether that's a viable option, whether it's something we should be working on or shouldn't be working on, or whether it's even a good idea. There's a, it's a great Ted Lasso quote that says, I shouldn't bring a, an umbrella to a brainstorm. And you shouldn't. The brainstorm is just getting it out of your head. It's mm -hmm. freeing up that real estate 
for the conversation that comes next. And that okay. one's really important when you sort them and then start to prioritize them. So that's the, the that is the traffic jam, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So once we've done done our brain dump and we've now got our order, does that take us to the next one? Not necessarily. Sometimes traffic jam meeting, you got to solve it and then you're ready to go. The the runway meeting happens one of two ways. You're either taxiing the runway, never quite taking off, or you're circling the runway, have no idea how to land the plane. Oftentimes, this is going to happen midstream in a project. Um, doesn't matter what the project is, but you're, let's say you've mapped it out, you've got a really solid project management plan, you've got your process identified for how to work each stage of the process, each stage of the project. Let's say you've got five steps altogether. I know it's pretty minimal, but for the sake of argument, we'll say five. So you've done step one, it went great. Done step two, done. Step three, you've been on for hmm, four meetings now, four meetings. You're having the same conversation over and over again without any way to get out of that conversation and get to step four. And there comes a point where the, the gap is just too big to jump. You don't know where you're stuck. You don't know what part of the process you're stuck on. And you, so you don't know how to move forward. So you just keep having this conversation over and over again. And that kills morale and momentum faster than anything. Most things that I know of is just doing, getting stuck on that same spot over and over again and feeling like you're going to meetings and nothing comes of them. You just keep having the same meeting over and over. Right. When you can identify where you're stuck, and that's where a good team discussion is. I love to use the five whys for this, the first principles thinking where you, why is this, why are we stuck here? And then why, why is, why is that the answer to the question? Is, is that the right answer? And just keep drilling down until you get to the actual root of what's stuck. From there, you can reverse engineer the process, but not in one big leap. You're past the point of one big leap because the 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 plane is as it's just stuck. It's not moving anywhere. So you have to break down what would normally have come easy on other steps in the process, break it down into micro steps. That's how you restore the momentum. You can start just little by little, one tiny step. When you look at the step you're trying to get to, what's the very next thing that needs to happen before you'd achieve that? And then the very next thing that happens before that. And then you walk your way back. And eventually you arrive again at the place where you're stuck. But instead of having to make that huge jump, you now just have one small step to make. And it might be one person. It might be the team doing one small piece. But the more they add on, there's no difference between a huge win and a small win. They function the same way in your brain. And the momentum and the, the feeling of progress that you get is very, very similar. So there's no shame in breaking down one big step into a whole bunch of small ones as long as you get the plane moving again towards its ultimate destination. Okay. So let's go now from the runway and I've already lost, I didn't get the third one. Bottleneck. <laughs> this is the one that nearly broke me in my career. <laughs> okay. So it's interesting because traffic jam runway makes sense. Bottleneck to me sounds like a traffic jam. It is, but it's, different because it's usually one piece of the process that has completely been excluded or just forgotten about or wasn't on the same page from the beginning, either because they weren't included or because on any number of things that can go wrong. The bottleneck 
your team's moving along, they're doing just fine, things are going according to plan, you're on schedule, you're on budget. And then brick wall, it just stops. You send it up to, we were kidding about this earlier, you send it up to finance and it gets kicked right back. All of these things need to be redone. All of these things need to be rethought. Um, the timeline doesn't work. Or maybe you kick it to the executive director and it doesn't align with the, the big pieces of the mission that they were expecting. So many of these things can be dealt with earlier in the process, but it takes a full stop at the beginning to figure out who needs to be involved at each stage of the process. And just being involved, it's not enough to say that, it's who needs to be informed, who needs to be directly engaged in the process. At each step of the be, way. Yeah, who needs because to be- Because some of the people data. may not, I don't wanna interrupt, but some of the people may not need to be involved at this step, but need to be in this one. Somebody may be involved in step one and then drop out, but come back in about step eight. Exactly. But if you miss them at any of those key stages or you miss sending an update that would allow them the, the quick opportunity to say, this looks great. I think you might be missing this one tiny piece or I noticed you didn't include so-and-so from this department. They're going to be really helpful down the road with this. It just solves so many problems and it keeps all of that work from getting closed into this one spot where it can't get through any longer. Right. And for those folks that are listening and have heard me talk in the past, that's a perfect example of making sure that the entire team is completely synchronized so that everybody knows what each other element is doing on this process, okay? It takes some time and dedication at the beginning. That is a meeting in and of itself, but it's one worth having because it will save so much time, wasted effort, lost productivity down the line that it's, it's so, I can't express how important it is to have that mapped out from the get-go. So let's say, would you say that when you're looking at starting a new project, the first meeting should be a meeting about how the system and the process is going to go? I think that's a great starting point. Because <clears throat> my wife used to use the expression, prior preparation prevents poor performance. I think you know those keys, <laughs> am I right? <laughs> and there's another word some people will put in there I left out today. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, when you're looking at a project, it's not just the boots on the ground pieces of it. It's all of the background mechanisms that work together in concert to bring that, to keep that project moving so that it hits its goals, its deliverables, its timeline, its budget. And we've got the right stakeholders involved at the right places. Mm -hmm. And I think your point is incredibly important that not the same people are not involved at the same level at every stage of the project, they don't have to be. And that's where you can save people a lot of time when you're building your meeting structures. Check your audience carefully. Who needs to be at this meeting to accomplish the goals of the meeting? And yes, there should absolutely be goals. I know agendas are not like super sexy and they don't get a lot of attention and people just don't wanna to have to do them. But if nothing else, it gets your mind clear on what the purpose of the meeting is what has to be done before everybody walks out the door. Once you know that, you know who needs to be in the room. And then my big favorite, save 15% of every meeting for next steps. Do not let anyone leave until you have mapped out who will do what and by when. Okay, go back and say that all, that last part again. <laughs> Don't let, 
save 15%, I think you said, for the next meeting. Yep. And then don't let people leave until they know who's responsible for what in the next. Who will do what by when? I did the who, what, when chart. It's super easy to do. Mm -hmm. I love doing mine on Miro. I, it's a, a collaborative online workspace that functions like a whiteboard does in a real room. Um, but it's just, it's fun. It gets slow and fast thinkers working together, extroverts, introverts. There's a lot of asynchronous work that you can tie into getting done before you're in the same space having a, a meeting together. It makes everything move much better. And it also takes away that imbalance that we've had for a long time, which the first voice or the loudest voice or the longest voice gets the most traction. When If you're building things where idea generation is happening outside of the meeting, you're no longer restricted by who's willing to talk or feels comfortable talking. These ideas get added. And then by the time you're ready to have the discussion, you have so much more information to work from. So when we're planning a meeting, I want to think now when we're planning a meeting as a manager pulling a meeting together. And they're trying to figure out the function of everything that's going to go along. What should a manager be looking at? What should a manager be thinking about? And I know this is a broad question, but there should be some generalities of what they need to think about it. Do you have any thoughts on that? I do. So I have two, um, one for the broad brush and one for the more, um, more specific. Okay. So broad brush, when you're thinking about meetings as a whole and your team and how you can take some pressure off of them to be in fewer meetings, but more relevant meetings, time audit look, just sit and look at their calendar. Use that one-on-one -on -one time to actually take a look at where their time goes and do it for yourself too. Guilty. <laughs> if you just, you've left the room now. Guilty. When you actually take a look at what's taking up all of your time, it is real easy to start to see a pattern of overwhelm and how this is bleeding into your evenings and weekends and things. From there, you got to really take a develop, a, embrace the idea of prioritizing and saying no. I like the theory of some things are shatterproof. You can't get rid of them. They have to be there. If you were ever not part of those meetings, it breaks and it's really hard to fix. Your wood priorities are similar. They might dent, but you still need to be there to, to get it done. Then you got your rubber ones. They're going to bounce. If you need to move it or shrink it, it might take a little doing, but it's not going to be the end of the world. And then your paper ones, which probably didn't matter all that much to begin with. Either you don't need to be there or it was something you didn't want to be part of anyway. If you had the choice to do it over again, would you still say yes to this commitment? Is it still essential for you to be there and worth your time? So that's the big one, the big broad brush. But then the specific one, when you're looking at how to structure a meeting, um, I like six pieces. The purpose, is it inform and update, discuss and decide, or approve and move? These are very different types of meetings. You typically can only have one of them and do it well. You might be able to do a little bit of update and inform at the beginning, maybe five, 10 minutes where you got to dis distill a little bit of information to the team. But if that meeting's about discuss and decide, then you need to space out time for that specifically and build the meeting in a way that that cultivates that level of activity. Um, from there, you know your purpose, 
you put your items on the agenda. Once you have the items, you know who needs to be there to make those items move on to the next stage. This is one that um, people do not like, but the prep and homework for a meeting. Oy. The amount of times that people are supposed to do something for a meeting and don't is sometimes their fault. A lot of times it's the meeting developer though, the person who put together the meeting. Did you share it? Did you share it in a way that was clickable? <laughs> was it easy to find? Do they know that they need to, to put something on a chart by the end of the week or read something ahead of the next meeting? What is it that they need to do? Why do they need to do it? And how does it apply to the meeting? How will it affect and the meeting? How do, how do we keep them, somebody else's schedule, how, and when they get to the meeting and they haven't done it, do you hold them accountable? How, what happens there? I think accountability is part of everything. And if you can change the, the stigma of it, where it's either getting a, a blue ribbon or it's getting a trip to the principal's office, and it's just part of the fabric of every meeting, then you can figure out how to do it better. Um, I find that it's not generally a complete lack of interest in the other people in the meeting or the work to be done, but there's something that happened that kept that person from being able to do the prep that would have made them a, a more yeah. integral part of that meeting. Right. If you can ask, if you built a culture where you can say, what went sideways for you? And is there a way we can do this differently going forward that would make it easier for you to get what you need and for us to have you fully prepared so we can get your best feedback and input? When that's part of every meeting and not just a, a blame or a shaming or something that's just a complete waste of energy and time and really really uh, uh, just upends the trust and relationships that you need to have effective collaboration, everything works so much more smoothly. The last meeting. two pieces are meeting math. I'm sorry, meeting? Meeting math. Math. Yeah. Wait just, a minute, I've got a music teacher talking about math. I'm confused. <laughs> Those two skills actually go hand in hand. <laughs> Meeting math is how much time you assign to each item on the agenda. Okay. We have a um, an overly optimistic outlook on meeting math, typically. I mean, how many meetings have you been in that got the first two things on the agenda done and absolutely nothing else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's more common than not. Oftentimes, next steps just completely fall off the radar and you've got this feeling at the end where the other three or four items on the agenda just get squashed down into the last three minutes. And I don't know about you, but that's uh, not a great way to make people feel valued about their commitment and the hour that they just gave you. There's got to be a, I hate to say transactional, but there is a transaction for meetings. People are giving you their time, a finite resource that is incredibly valuable to do work on this project with you. And if you can't make that meeting a good exchange for their time, then you haven't earned it. Right. When you do meeting math well, what's on the agenda is what gets accomplished. It won't happen every single time, but you should know at some point that you can't put 12 things on an agenda, all of which are complex, intractable problems and expect to solve anything. You've got to be reasonable about your meeting math. So when you're thinking about that, now I'm looking, let's look at your example of 12 things on there. You know you can't get 12 of them done in a 90-minute meeting. Mm -hmm. Just physically impossible. Yeah. Maybe not even in two 90-minute meetings. Correct. <laughs> Do you then recommend that the leader say, okay, 
Over the next three meetings, these will be the topics we will cover so that everybody knows what's going to be up, that's going to be there, that their part will be part of that. So it's a two-part question. Is that, in, is that a good idea to give them an overall agenda for all three meetings? And then the second part is, if I'm going to be part of that meeting and my part's in part three, do I need to be parts of part one and two? That's a really good way to ask it. And I think when you start mapping out really good functional agendas, mm -hmm. those questions are going to be answered immediately. What is it that you're trying to actually solve? Because it can't be both discussing a, a complex problem and trying to sort out how to prioritize the different steps of it, how to prioritize where whose time you apply to it and how it's done. It can't be that and a half an hour presentation from somebody about all the updates, the round robin updates. It, they don't fit in the same block. And then no. on top of that, trying to figure out how, who do we need to bring into the next thing? And you're just trying to juggle too many things at once. And it results in meetings that go nowhere. And that's when people start to get frustrated and they keep coming to those runway meetings that keep circling, but don't quite ever go anywhere. Right. So we should definitely keep the general stuff out of that meeting and bring that up at a separate type thing where we're only focusing on what we need at that time. I'd argue they don't always have to be part of a meeting. When you I'm have sorry? A, some of, I don't, I'd argue they don't always have to be part of the meeting. Mm -hmm. Maybe there is some of the asynchronous work where you do put um, notable achievements or updates on a shared workspace and you have that up in the very first five minutes, people can read, people can read quickly and people will actually appreciate five minutes spent reading everybody's accomplishments and then moving on to the work at hand rather than having it spoon fed and taking a valuable time that could actually be used for the agenda items. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that's my opinion. That's how I would run it. But that's also a conversation to have with your team. If the updates are really important and that gives a sense of connection and relationship building, then maybe that's a lunch that you have together once every other week or once a week, however many times your team meets. Maybe it's But extrapolate that. You're talking, if I understand you correctly, you're now saying extrapolate those items, put them into a separate type of a meeting than the specific project that you're working on now. Yeah. Give it the space yeah. that it deserves. If that's important to your team, put it inside of a, of a collegial event that you have together where those stories have meaning and people expect to be sharing them. That's okay. really important for some teams. So let's get away from specific long-term project meetings. Let's talk about organizations. We have a lot of folks on that listen to our podcast that are in uh, help desks and call centers and they have their small meetings or they're in hospitality, um, whether it's restaurant business or hotel business and resorts, regardless of where they happen to be, they have constant meetings that are sometimes, I call them huddle meetings. Okay, brief huddle meetings, handoff meetings and processes. So you've got those that you've got your weekly staff meetings and things of that nature. Do you have some rules that people should follow for things like that? And do they differ from meeting type to meeting type there? I think they do. And I'm a huge fan of talking with your team to determine how you're going to do these things. If, I mean, there are some times where uh, a a stand-up meeting or a huddle is, is going to be really important. It's five minutes. How do we handle this? What is part of this meeting and what is not? 
when you have those expectations clearly defined, then everybody on the team knows exactly what to expect from those meetings, what they need to bring of themselves and their work, mm-hmm. and also what they can expect from all of you. And if it's a five-minute meeting, we'll get to five meetings, please. <laughs> People map out their day based on these things. And it's important to make good on the promise that you say. When you say five minutes, it better be five minutes. If it's 15, it's 15. When I work with, with volunteers, it's always I it's just imperative. If their shift is till two o'clock, you say thank you at two o'clock. If they want to stay longer, open the doors, fling them open. But that commitment ends at two o'clock and it's met with a thank you and we're done here. It's the same thing in, in corporate America where you're where you're juggling so many things on a daily basis. And that's just the things you know about, let alone the 27 things that are coming through the door first thing in the morning or right after lunch. It's like during the day that you now need to build in. And that's where that extra time comes into play. When you're not booked every single second of every single day with meeting after meeting after meeting, you can absorb the daily challenges that are just part of a work day. These right. things happen, they can be absorbed. You just have to have space for them. But to answer your question, I'm a, just a huge fan of talking to your team and setting those expectations as a group. And they might shift as your team shifts and be open to that. But as a rule, how it works for the team is how it's going to move the ball forward. And that's going to help drive the culture by having the team involved in all of that. And ultimately, that leads to customer satisfaction, it leads to better stakeholder engagement. All of the things that matter to a bottom line and to board members and all of those things that you need to report on, all of that is fed and enhanced by better meetings. So in the virtual world, so many folks have a meeting. They say, let's start at two o'clock and we'll end it at three o'clock. And of course, the next person has the meeting. Another person has a meeting starting then at three o'clock to four o'clock or 3.15, whatever the time frame. They give them zero time to move between meetings. What are your thoughts on that? I, I have my thoughts on what to do, but I'm not the meeting expert here. You are. So what would you recommend? Get rid of the patchwork quilt. That blanketed, when you look at your your calendar, your digital calendar, the blanketed blocks back to back to back to back, it's unsustainable and it's not productive. And you will waste other people's time throughout the day because just like you said, meetings don't typically end on time 100% of the time. So you're going to have a few that run over. You'll have a few that on occasion end early and that's great. But you just, you start to get into this hamster wheel or the snowball effect where things just keep moving and then they get on hand. And and by that point, you need to start canceling things. And then you've wasted people's time. I think time, time blocking or time boxing, however you want to call it, is one of the things I love where you build out a certain part of your day for meetings. And that's, that's a little idealistic. And there's a lot of people who have less meetings and that's much more doable, or there's people who have mostly meetings. Um, one of my clients, she she cracked up when we were talking about how to manage her day. And she's like, I think I just need to acknowledge the fact that my job is different now. And it involves probably 80% meetings and email. And that was a revelation that she'd gotten a promotion. Mm-hmm. Her schedule was just different now. And she had to get okay with that. So when I say blocking out space for the things that are important in your day, that will vary widely from person to person. But when you can push your meetings into a chunk, 
and then have space built into the rest of your day to do more deep thought, creative work. That's a great way to do it. Another way, and a lot of companies have, have built this into their, their days is 45-minute um, meetings or meetings that end five minutes before the hour. I'm sort of okay with that. Mm -hmm. Make the meeting as long as it needs to be. Right. And That's then, one of the things that I was about was always giving them time in those back to back to back when people have them. If I'm the leader, I want to make sure they have time to get to their next meeting. I want to be cognizant. I want to be appreciative of their time. Um, the other thing I've always been is from the customer service standpoint, there's an old expression that's known as says uh, under promise and over deliver. So I will turn and say, okay, guys, we're going to have a meeting. It's going to be 55 minutes. In my mind, I'm planning on finishing that meeting in 50 minutes. That way the, the attendees are happier about that. What are your thoughts there? I think it's it's imperative to have some sort of gap between meetings, whether that's five minutes or 15, what you feel like you need in between those meetings. It's time to breathe. It's time to close out the thoughts from the previous meeting and actually get prepared in your mind and settled into the next meeting so that you're bringing what people are expecting. People want you at their meetings for a good reason, because you bring value and you bring ideas and you bring good thoughts to it. If you're just doing going through the motions back to back to back to back and not able, if it takes you probably, you know, between five and 10 minutes to just adjust into the next meeting, that's not bringing the best of you. And it right. shouldn't ask to people over and over again. So as the leader, I want to be cognizant of that. So let's talk to the leaders for a moment. Is there something the leaders that are setting up their meetings? Because people today work on multiple teams. So I may have a team meeting, you may have a team meeting, somebody else may have a meeting going on. And so I want to be cognizant of that. So are there certain things that I, as a leader, should do with my meetings to be cognizant of my attendees that are going to be in that meeting? I think that happens on two levels. One, is your upper management, the people who are leading those teams need to be talking to each other. How is what we're doing separately affecting our staff as a whole? Because you don't work in silos anymore. You're working across teams. And when you're getting pulled into meetings across three, four, five departments in a given week, that is a huge amount of time that needs to be accounted mm -hmm. for. That's where that, that time audit comes back into play. I know it's not a like a super fun thing to look forward to. It's like, hey, yes, let's do that math. But it helps to sort out. And then from there, your best advocate on at some occasions is your manager who can talk to other managers and help sort out, is that person absolutely necessary for every single one of those meetings? I know I've been in situations where I had a standing meeting every Thursday that I was pushed into never clear why I'm never getting those hours of my life back <laughs> and I was never needed for them not once <laughs> interesting so any conversation would have highlighted that pretty quickly and I am not alone in that by any stretch right. really taking the time to see who is overstretched why and then how we can go about as managers fixing that for our team members, whether they're from our team or from someone else's team, to make their experience coming to work better and more productive and more effect, more efficient, where you feel like you're doing great work all day and not just flowing from meeting to meeting to meeting. Okay. Let's turn the table. We're going to wrap <laughs> this up in a few minutes. Got a couple more questions I want to go down. Let's turn the table from the leader to the employee, the attendee of the meeting. 
-hmm. And let's say that they have brought in this meeting, just as you were just talking about, you the standing meeting every Thursday. Why am I here? Okay. What is a good way for that person to approach the meeting planner, the uh, supervisor, the leader, the boss, the whatever, about say, hey, why do I need, how do they bring that up saying, hey, I really don't think I need to be here? Mm -hmm. I think it's going to depend on the relationships that you have with people right. and that very widely. But I think as a general rule, a thank you for putting the agenda out. Because the whole reason you know you're not needed potentially at this meeting is you're looking at an agenda where you don't see yourself or any value that you bring to this hour. Just acknowledging that, saying, thanks so much for sending the agenda. I appreciate the work that you're doing. I don't know that I have a place in this meeting or I have another project that is pulling my time. Would it be all right if I didn't attend this one? And there, that gives some, some voice to the meeting planner as well. Yes. You may have missed something on the meeting where you are a key aspect of one conversation and maybe you don't see it, but it's already in their head. Or they're happy to give you that time back. Like, I appreciate you letting me know that you are not involved in any of this and that you have other work that you'd be better suited to during that time. And I appreciate you helping me figure out how to prioritize that with you. Okay, great. Now, not, I'm sorry. You are not mind readers. No, 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 they're not, absolutely. And it, they may just already have a standard list. Okay, this team has to come to this meeting. And now all of a sudden they start getting things in that direction. So they're getting the right people in the right meetings to do the right things. And the same goes for the standard list that is invariably going to leave someone off of it at some point, somebody who really should be in that room. And it's up to you as a person at the table to say, we have a new hire, or we have someone who has shifted responsibilities and, or someone who just has an incredible background in this work, who would be valuable in this conversation. People aren't necessarily thinking those things through all the time. And although you may not always get a welcome response to it, Sometimes you will, and it becomes a very important part of, of your role in the meeting is to make sure that it's that right blend of people. Okay. We've talked about the right blend of people, the right thoughts of the people being in the meeting. Can you give me three, four, five other must-do rules to setting up a good meeting? Mm. So there's the two sides of the same coin, good questions and interrupting, listening and interrupting. So many times meetings will go completely out into left field because no one is willing to interrupt. As meeting organizer or as a meeting planner, that is your responsibility 100%. The other thing that's also your responsibility is to ask good questions and get out of the way. So there's this, this juxtaposition and this push-pull between listening, asking good questions, and listening to the team that you have pulled together, but then also interrupting, being willing to politely and firmly <laughs> interrupt, pull the conversation back in so that the meeting objectives actually get met instead of veering off into a lot of different tangents that may be important at another time, but are not important right now. Okay. So listening and interrupting is absolutely being a good listener, but being a good at interrupter, I guess, or facilitator. Okay. Mm -hmm. I used to always say, um, one of the things I'd like to do is get other people involved in meetings. I would basically have rotate a facilitator. I would rotate the uh, a sergeant of arms, if you will, to keep the meeting time going. 
So having somebody doing those different roles like that keeps everybody else engaged. And sometimes, depending on the work that you're doing or the group that you're with, there's a there's a um, a group that I facilitate for a, a state agency that they love having different roles and circulating the roles between different people: the timekeeper, the note keeper, um, the interrupter, the on tasker. <laughs> Uh -huh. So that's a good way to pull people in. Not every group is like that. That may all be your job sometimes, but uh -huh. also depending on the team, and this is where those conversations come into play, they might be interested in being actively involved in that. Clarification, I think, is another really important skill of a, of a meeting organizer. Um, when conversations are happening, when they're really productive and robust, you still have to be the person who can distill that down, start moving the team from discussion to decision without steamrolling over people, without putting the, the kibosh on things too quickly, but moving that conversation from discussion to decision so that you can actually get to the next steps and stop circling the runway. Um, but be the person who can clarify this is where we're at. This is where we need to be in the next 10 to 15 minutes. Let's keep the decision, this discussion going there. And then be the person who can bring that consensus. In. And sometimes consensus gets a bad rap, but just bringing it around to how are you feeling about this? Are there is there more information that's required? Who are you willing to move forward with it, even if it's not your choice, even if it's something you would prefer to do it differently? but you're gonna do this anyway because it's not a big enough deal for you to stand in the way of it. There's lots of different ways to assess agreement, the agreement spectrum, but you have to be the kind of person who can move it along towards decisions. Otherwise you just end up in discussion indefinitely without ever making mm -hmm. any progress. One of the best things I think I've picked out of this is to avoid that endless loop of discussions is to finish the meeting and as we draw near the end is to talk about okay our next steps this is what we will cover in the next meeting and maybe that meeting is already planned maybe that meeting is not planned but either way that topic of the base of the agenda is already in place is that is that a safe thing to say yep and again that 15 percent number it's important to have space mapped out and reserved for that conversation because it's extremely important. It's how you move the ball forward. So I'm always a big fan of saying that much like your wife has all of the P's, <laughs> there's two P's that are the bookends for really good meetings. That's the purpose, know what you're doing there, know the reason that you've come together. And then that leads to the progress. The progress is the other side holding that up. It's what's gonna happen next. It's the promise that you make to people for giving you their time that it's going to result in something else. So you've got the purpose that leads to the promise. And if you keep those things moving, it's a really good way to build trust, build relationships, and people to know that when you call a meeting, they don't have to think about it. That is a good use of their time. They already yeah. know it. I love that because you did process, I'm sorry, you did purpose and progress. Mm -hmm. And then of course, in between, I put meeting. Yeah. So it's PMP. <laughs> <laughs> good acronym that's multi-purpose <laughs> yes absolutely oh wow okay kelly that's that's a great way to end is understanding the purpose the meeting and the progress and make sure we got those all in place and being able to carry those because it's important for people to understand to carry that whether they are the meeting attendee 
a stakeholder, a visitor to the meeting, or they're the person running the entire meeting. All of those come into play and for everybody to understand their roles. Because if you are in a group where you rotate those roles, whoever's in that facilitator role is the facilitator of that meeting. Others need to be respectful of that as well. You're right. We, we need another few weeks on this topic. <laughs> and I, it, it's, these are things that folks come into play because there's so many types, whether we're going to do a huddle meeting, a standoff for maybe a 90 second meeting, whether it's getting your rules, whether we're going to do a regular weekly staff meeting, whether we're doing a project meeting, multiple project meetings. There's so many different ways. So Kelly, if people need to reach out to you to get some ideas, what's the best way for them to find you? There's two. My website's a great place to start, which is findfunctionandflow.com. Or That's find, yep. function, and the word A-N-D, yes. flow.com. Findfunctionandflow.com. Thank you for slowing that down. I have a tendency to get talking very fast when I get excited. <laughs> and combine that with I'm a born mumbler, and we're just, it's a disaster. But uh, yes, findfunctionandflow, all spelled out, .com or I post regularly on my LinkedIn page, which is Kelly S. McGinley, or you can search for Find Function and Flow there as well and see all sorts of articles, helpful ways to, to improve your meetings and some tools to make that a lot easier for you. I always tell folks, check back into the meeting notes. We're gonna put all this contact information in there as well for everybody. Reach out to her, find ideas for what you could do to make your teams become more effective in their staff meetings because when you get into that, then your process, your processes and your projects are going to flow more evenly. And guess what? When that starts to happen, folks, the whole team gets elevated. And as John Kennedy always said, a rising tide does raise all ships. It's been approved. Kelly, thank you very much for joining us here on the Teamwork Advantage today. Hope you'll come back and join us again. We can talk more in depth about maybe a specific type of meeting. How's that sound? I would love that, Greg. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a blast. It's always a lot of fun, and we like to keep this to a certain time, folks, so be respectful of your times as well. You know, with the Teamwork Advantage, when you listen to us once a week, you get ideas that you can implement right away. And hopefully, Kelly's giving you some thoughts that you can implement right away as well. Until next week, remember, listening to the Teamwork Advantage means you're not average, and average people have good days. So don't go out there and have a good day. Go out and make today excellent and exceptional. Until next time. We bring you another guest on the Teamwork Advantage. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit TeamsRock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.